Welcome back to Winning with Connections, the WWC podcast. Today, we have Christopher Poli of Capture to Proposal. And Christopher and I have had long conversations for a number of years about how firms move from the very small organic business development that is really based on relationships into the next layers of business development. And so Christopher has a great tool with C2P, but much more above and beyond just the tool. We talk a little bit about how to get to the next levels of capture and business development when you are a small emerging firm all the way up to very large firm. So enjoy the the podcast with Christopher. So today we have Christopher Poli. He is the founder and CEO of Capture to Proposal or C2P. And we have been users of C2P almost really near the founding of, of C2P. I think we were some of the earliest adopters of C2P instead of more traditional business intelligence platforms that, that everyone seems to use. And it has been a massive, massive boon to us as a firm, not only on the BD team side, but also at this point, a lot of the firm is starting to use it across the board, a lot of the headquarters staff in, in general. So wanted to share Christopher's kind of vision, their tool, but also talk to him about the industry, where he came from in the industry, where he sees it going, and how Capture to Proposal is different in that full spectrum of business development to business execution. So Christopher, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So uh, I guess to answer your, your first question, like how did Capture Proposal you know, what are we and where do we come from? And to start, you know, just general overview, we're an end-to-end business intelligence capture and proposal management solution that facilitates collaboration internally and externally between teammates in a NIST-compliant manner. And what that really means is that, you know, we developed the solution to cover the entire BD lifecycle for GovCon. And we wanted to ensure that it met all the compliance needs you know, from a IA security, I'm sure you guys have heard of CMMC, and provide the intel and the tooling and the ability to easily collaborate and complete standard artifacts in the capture process and facilitate, you know, ease of the reporting capabilities, like making it easier to, you know, provide inf- information all in one solution set. So that's really like, you know, what we do, but who we do it for is even more important. So, you know, before this, I, I've been in GovCon most of my career, ever since I got out of the Marines. And, you know, I, I eventually got into business development. And I, you know, coming from the battle command, you know, software engineering, you know, command and control arena, I really, you know, started seeing what was going on in business development. And I felt, I fell in love with it. So the ultimate reason that we started C2P was that we identified that small to mid-sized companies didn't have all the tooling and the capabilities that they needed to attack business. Now, a lot of this based off of, you know, building my own defense company from ground up. Also, you know, being in love with BD, I got into business development and I started seeing, you know, doing it for several other companies from big companies, small companies. And the one thing I saw with the small to mid-sized companies is that they didn't have all the tooling and that they might have 
a decent market intelligence, but they didn't have, you know, like the tooling really support managing their pipeline. Yeah. And from there, they didn't, you know, like they would prime opportunities, but they wouldn't have the tooling to effectively run a proposal with, with you know, their 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 teammates. So trying to find a solution that met all these needs really required taking a the equivalent of a market intelligence, business intelligence solution, coupling it with a CRM-like solution, coupling it with a secure proposal collaboration solution, and putting it all in one. And to do that, you know, it's definitely a major, major undertaking. But our goal was always to help the small, mid-sized companies give them all the advantages and tooling that the big companies had. And that really was based on my belief system from building, you know, a defense tech company and being in the industry and knowing that, you know, I've always found that small to mid-sized companies, you know, like the companies, and when I say mid-sized, it goes all the way up to like, you know, around 150, 200 million, but all the way from the, you know, five to 7 million to that, to that mark, like those, those companies, they're, they're, they're evolving a lot along that path to get past, you know, the breakthrough being a small business. And that even then they they don't understand you know like they're they're running around trying to figure out wait how are we going to manage things more effectively how are we going to you know run captures more effectively and change and expand to different market segments all these things and that was our focus but it's all also it's ultimately driven by the fact that we know that those are the companies that offer the greatest value to the warfighter they bring the innovation they just need to know how to play the game better and they need yeah. the tooling to play the game better so that they can beat the bigs and that we can ultimately ensure that we're, you know, playing the acquisition game so that they can do what they do best and provide their services and technologies and capabilities to, you know, the consumer, you know. And I was driven more about supporting the warfighter, but that means all federal, you know, organizations. Right. So and you really have done it. I mean, I know you have some of the the fairly large businesses. You've got businesses like our size that are you know, in, in that hundred million ish range. And then you've got the smaller businesses, but what I love about one of the things I, there's a lot I love about what, what you guys have done and, and why we are such huge proponents of it. And it's, it's that it's customizable, it's scalable, it's, and it touches every piece, like you said, of the BD life cycle. It's not just business intelligence. It's not just running the the pipeline or identifying opportunities and kind of keeping them hot or keeping all of your notes in the same place or you know whatever whatever you do in your in your typical kind of business development or business intelligence software program it really or sharing them with you know okay how are we going to research which firms are potential partners here or whatever and there are kind of the standard bearers for for that but this does so much more than just that business intelligence piece of it for really, I don't want to give away pricing or, or anything here, but really for the, the, the same-ish pricing that you get for the standard business intelligence platform, you get better business intelligence because there's different stuff coming out of, out of you guys. And I'll have you talk about kind of how you get that differently than than say a, a Bloomberg or a or a GovWin or you know whatever other business intelligence software you've got, but it, you know so you, you've got this the same or better BI tools, but then you've got the proposal, the pipeline. It really gives you some analytics, and then 
and this is the thing that that I think more so than anything gets us excited is you guys are responsive. So we turn around and and my <laughs> my my executive vice president for growth is is a little crazy. I think he's probably got you on speed dial here. <laughs> but and you might have him on speed dial on on the other side, but he turns around and goes, "You know, Christopher, we're trying to do this. Can you guys do that for us?" And, you know, uh, you know, minutes later we have the report depending on what we're asking for. But, you know, weeks later, that report is there for everyone oftentimes. And so you're listening to here's how we're approaching business development and you're helping us to figure out how to incorporate that into your system. So the system is constantly morphing and growing and getting better rather than just that static push system. We have information it came from either this set of documents that we pull from or, you know, research that we did where we called the contracting officer. But we're pushing that information out. You can search by the, the requirement and get all the same information that almost everyone gets at that point. And that's all you get. Right. That's the, the kind of consumer information kind of system that, that those other those other BI tools are giving. This isn't that it is. It, it has pieces of information that are just as critical and, and, and just as accurate, really. But it also has so much more than that. And it's flexible and scalable to what you as your own business needs, not just what everyone is getting and what everyone's getting pushed at. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say that's true. I mean, one of our our approaches, you know, when we started the company, we, we had a vision of like, these are the initial capabilities we had to build. And, you know, we based that on, you know, our own knowledge of chasing the winning business. Right. And we said, all right, we're, we, I think around two years ago, you know, we started realizing as we got closer to, to completing that, you know, initial vision as a starting point, what customers, you know, what, what, what features were sticky, what, what features, you know, customers, you know, enjoyed. And that made their lives easier. And, you know, there becomes a shift where, you know, especially from an entrepreneurial standpoint, where you're either somebody, you know, like everybody has a straight vision, but feedback, feedback from the community and the user group, the user groups, that becomes key into amplifying that vision and to improve the product and to improve usability, functionality, meeting, you know, different use cases that are common. So it takes continuously like listening. So we always joke that we say, you know, from an innovation standpoint, you know, we are innovative. We understand the industry, but we continue to innovate because of the feedback and suggestions we get from our customer base. The rest of the industry of our competitors, they innovate just be from seeing what we're doing. And that's the route that we plan to, you know, plan to go and continue to go. You know, like our first, you know, migrating our entire architecture to the GovCloud. Right. You know, the reason we did that is because we saw, you know, other systems that, you know, that are around the block, you know, and we're talking about, we're not just talking about BI and marketing intelligence systems. We're talking about CRMs, you know, yep. like Fulton CRM solutions that, you know, they'd all like, you know, propose that, you know, they're NIST compliant and, you know, like in that they, they meet these criteria that, that GovCons are required. 
And it honestly frustrated us from some standpoint because we're all from this industry, right? It's like, right. you know, like I guarantee we're the only market, market intel end to end, you know, pursuit platform that has an on-site CSP that's been, you know, CSO for like, you know, three or four Mac ACAT level one programs. So like, you know, that, that knowledge, you know, we use that and we were listening to our customers, knowing where they were going through. And as they've been, you know, as most of the industry has been locking down their systems and locking down their infrastructure to have all these NIST controls. And, you know, we were moving with them. And, you know, like, and once we moved to the GovCloud, it wasn't just, you know, that we put in all the controls to be compliant, but that isn't enough for our customers. Our customers, you know, they're going to get audited in, in 2023. They're already preparing for, you know, uh, it'll be under, I think it's 2023 May for the CMC audits. But as they're prepping and they have this responsibility that ties to their contracts to ensure if any information is moving around, that we were getting that feedback. We knew it was coming coming down. So we went through the steps and the motions to provide the platform in a, in a location in the environment where GovCon is going to play. But right. on top of that, getting the third party assertion and, you know, and being by the book so that you get audited. We, you know, you have all the paperwork, so you don't need to worry about right. our system adding overhead. And that overhead is what the small, mid-sized companies can't afford. They can't go through the overhead of having their homegrown systems or any cloud service provider solution that they use to manage their pipeline and documents and that might contain CUI or anything like that. They don't have that that cost. They, they just don't have the, the, the funding to do it, but they have to do it. Right. And so our innovation, you know, like in that aspect, it, it was mainly us moving based on what our customers were saying. Now, I know moving your architecture doesn't sound like that that innovative, but it, there, there's parts of it that have to be done, you know, to get there to ultimately offer other capabilities like our analytics stuff. Right. Well, and it's funny because we are everyone is in the middle of this, right? The the CMMC or or NIST 800171 because CMMC is yeah dead for fun. right now, but it's coming back, and who knows? And what you know, blah blah. Like I, we could we could go an entire five or six. It's a roller coaster, <laughs> uh, right? So, but we have been following it. We have been really, really fastidious about it. And my director of IT is over the top careful about it. He shut down a number of options for different, you know, opportunities for, for different IT systems. At one point, I don't know why we were looking at a different kind of content library because we, I guess we didn't realize you had it or didn't think that, that yours was going to suffice. And so we were looking at, okay, which content libraries can we use? And, and Bo shot down every one of them. Nope. That is not, they, they may say they're CMMC compliant, but there is no way that is CMMC compliant. Nope. We can't do that. Nope. We can't do that. And then Andre came back to me and said, Hey, wait a second. C2P actually has a, a piece of this that we can use to do the the proposal management and the content management and all of that stuff. And we went to Bo and I was expecting him to be like, nope, sorry, can't do that. No way. Absolutely not. And he went back and he's like, yep, they're totally fine. Absolutely. Let's go. This is, you know, because we were looking at doing, like you said, a homegrown kind of in-house system. And it turned out your system 
that we weren't even tracking you already had did exactly what we needed it to do or could be modified fairly easily to do what we needed it to do. And it was, you know, like, like we had said before, customizable, able to be kind of effectively utilized within our process, our systems so that we could, and, and fully compliant so that we could feel comfortable that, Hey, we've got this. It's right. Not only is it right for the audit, but it's right for the outcomes that we're supposed to be targeting for CMMC, right? The, the making sure that we have locked the system down, making sure people can't get into those, those kind of very concerning pieces of data that when they're put together with other pieces of data become problematic, both for us as a company and for the government, since we are a, a government service provider. So that that to me was telling is that Bo just kept shutting down. Nope, nope, nope. Oh, CDP, yeah, we're good. So that that was huge. And you guys did do that as an innovation, as a you saw the the market moving well faster, I think, than most of the firms that, that, like you said, didn't come out of this industry in the first place. So let's talk a little bit about how how smaller, kind of more nascent, although, you know, established enough to, to be able to afford some sort of system, but but more early stage firms do capture how it doesn't, sometimes doesn't work well because they're not doing it in the way that that is truly effective and how your system can can kind of help drive them in the right perspective. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when we focus on, I mean, you know, I ideally, if, if I didn't have investors and stuff, I, I would give, give away our system to, you know, companies that are just starting, like the one FTE that broke away and, you know, got a subcontract to work on a program, you know, and start his company or her, her company, you know, like that our system, you know, like they're just learning that they're, they're really being introduced to government acquisitions at that right. point. And, you know, having a good product fit, you know, usually we try to focus on companies that they understand what capture is. They do capture, they actively do capture. So when it, when any company is in that phase where they they understand that like you know how am I going to go and shape this opportunity? What's the rule like? Let's say they're a woman-owned company. Am I going to go and work with my fellow woman-owned company that has the same capability, services, and past performance to try to make this one opportunity go woman-owned set aside using the rule of two? Are they are they that mature where they understand certain aspects to shape the work? That's usually like when they're in that start where they have that understanding, but it ends up usually being one person, you know, at that that company. And they're trying to build out their BD team, build out their infrastructure, right, to, to grow to the next level. That's really where we see our system shine a lot with them because it gives them, you know, you know, yes, we can configure the system to align with their needs, but our system was built from ground up to support this industry. Like the, the these common use cases, these common things. And that to them, they see value from like the system kind of educates them in a way of like, these are the things you should be doing. So we see a lot of benefit for the emerging companies because it's the system meets their use cases, gives them some kind of a structure, but yet is still 
can be tailored to align with their needs. So we can configure that. They might change, they might have different capture statuses. All these things are customizable to align to make it lightweight, but you know, to ultimately guide them in a direction. Exactly. So with that in mind, you know, like that's how a lot of those features end up helping smaller companies with the guidance throughout that process. And it does ha- I mean, again, as we've grown, we went we we got to you guys when we were probably just after UTEP. So, you know, we were kind of closing in on 45, 50 million, but we were also, you know, really just coming out of being a $15 million firm at that point. And so being able to scale what we had done, there's some of us have been doing business development from the outside of the firm, although none of us or very few of us had business development training elsewhere outside of our firm. So we kind of did our business development the way we did our business development. And some of that changed as we got a little more sophisticated. Some of it, we kept the way we did it, right? Because it worked for us and it was the distinguisher from the way everyone else does it. And so you're right. We don't do every color team review, but we started doing gate reviews, which we didn't do before because the gate review was, hey, Lauren, I want to go after this. Okay, talk to me about A, B, C, and D. Walk me through it. But there was no formal practice. There was no, there was no template. There was no. Here are the questions you have to answer. Here are the things I'm going to need to know. And some of them you don't know for every opportunity. But it's it's a more systemic way of doing it. So you guys actually, along with the the team that we pulled together, helped us to get to a much more robust process by leveraging the system and the conversations that we had with you and changing the system to do what we wanted to do and 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 fit it into the the process that we that we had. And I think it's important to say like, you know, like our model, what we knew that would work was like a lot of tooling, they sell you tooling and then you got to pay additional to configure to a lot. Yes. Well, for us, it's not like we're reprogramming, we're just configuring, you know, like, because the system's built for this industry, we're a vertical SaaS. So out of the box, we're, you know, we align, you know, 90% of what you need. The the tailoring, you know, like, we wanted to make it easier to tailor. So we built a whole customer success management approach around, you know, continuously working with our customers, you know, like, as they got more mature in certain areas or other areas they felt like were too cumbersome to remove and configure those features. And that's all at no cost. There's no like, you know, for us to activate something or to add something, it all comes with the package. Cause we, we had to get away from, you know, these systems that charge you for every little piece when you're, yes. and you're changing so dramatically. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's like selling, like at the beginning, it's like selling Salesforce to a hot dog vendor. Right. And you know, that it just doesn't, doesn't work. I mean, you know, I mean, the, you, you can't just say, oh, here you go, and you're ready to rock. Again, I think probably Andre, for our side, interacts with you more than anyone else combined. But yeah, I mean, that's what we've seen. We've seen you come back to us and say, how's this working? What's going on? What do you need differently? And then he pulls our BD team and does that. And it, it really does grow with us in a way that I think is is meaningful and useful and effective. So how we're using the system now is very different than how we were using the system three years ago. The other thing that we've been able to do, and actually in, in thinking through this podcast, 
as we were emailing back and forth, kind of what do you bring to the table? What should we talk about in the podcast? One of the things was, hey, let me show you kind of one of the deep dives that we can do. So you did a deep dive for for us for the podcast, although you've done a lot of these before for us separately around women-owned businesses. Can you talk about a little bit about what what you were able to pull that was a kind of typical deep dive that you do for the customers you have? Well, the main thing is like providing the tooling. And so like one of the, to answer the common questions. So one, the tooling that we just released, I mean, and, you know, of course I'm a little biased, but I do believe that we have the most powerful federal spending analytics package in the market. And that's lightweight. I mean, you know, you could ask questions across over 15 years of data, but more, but slice and dice data to get the answers you want. And when we started this webcast, I know that you've been such a proponent of women-owned businesses and promoting, you know, the growth of women-owned businesses that I got on a little tangent, maybe drank too much Red Bull, and I started going <laughs> going down our analytics and using our tooling and to pull up some analytics stats that I thought, you know, would give me a better understanding of the, the women-owned community. Right. And, you know, I, I'd admit, like, you know, that it, it didn't take me that long to do it, but it was more like some of these stats, I... <laughs> It's like you want to talk about where innovations formed, right? It, it like be going down this rabbit hole. I was like, well, you know, it'd be really cool if we could compare, you know, what what are, you know, particular agencies uh, set aside goals are against, you know, the data that we have. Right. Yes. Yes. And, that would be awesome. So, so we came up with that idea after doing this. So, you know, like I haven't forbidden my head of products on, on the phone, but she probably knows that that's come down the pipe. But when I was going through this, I started saying, you know, the first thing I asked was like, okay, how are women-owned SB Prime contractors doing over the last five years, right? And, you know, like it was interesting to see, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, steady increase across the board Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. growth. Went from, you know, like half a billion up to, you know, a billion in funding, you know, across those first four years. You know, now, of course, you know, we've seen a decline since then, since in 2020 for women-owned SB Prime set-asides. But that was like the, you know, I was like, well, we had this growth of women-owned companies. And, you know, like while the the decrease in women-owned, because, you know, we have gone through and, you know, with the or our economic shift, COVID, however you want to call it, right? Like there's a lot of factors that have, that have influenced the, the federal budget, right? And that, you know, jumping, but when you drop from, you know, 680 billion down to 635 to 640 billion, that the delta between the decrease for women owned businesses was far greater than that. And, you know, so while you might see a, you know, decrease of, you know, three to four percent, uh, 2.1%, you know, for the, you'd see a decrease on women owned set asides around five to six percent. So, you know, a few things were interesting, you know, from that st- standpoint. I also got curious. I was like, well, you know, what are the top agencies for, you know, women-owned companies? And, you know, it was pretty interesting that, you know, the Army and, – and we also have to take into consideration, you know, the Army has really big budget, right? But, you know, like if you, you know, were going in a hierarchical order, you'd be going like Army, Other Defense, DHS, Air Force, HHS, and, you know, all the way down to like HUD is – you know, HUD and DOT are the smallest, you know, like, hmm. uh, but there's only like around when you really look at, you know, decent players, it's only like 20 or 30 agencies. So, so like. And um, that's by that's by 
dollar figure or by percent? Do- dollar figure. Dollar figure. That would make sense. So right. Uh, so I, I probably could have done. I should have done the percent calculation. I'm sorry. I was like, no, yeah. no, no. Well, but that's and that's the thing is this is all stuff that you have. This is not you having to go in and recode anything. This is you going in almost as a user. Like any, I could. Anyone, any one of our customers could get on and figure. I mean, you saw it when he, when we when we talked about this. I got those answers the same day. I wasn't. Right. Any one of our customers could ask those questions and get the same answers. And you know that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's about empowering. Yes. Like users, because the fact is, is this is you know what I, what I noticed when I was looking at if I was a woman owned business, right. And, you know, for all the people here that don't understand the rule of two, like, you know, I'm, you know, rule of two is a way of, you know, ultimately making work go towards a set aside status. If there's two qualified companies that could demonstrate they have the established past performance of similar size, scope and complexity. And all I'm thinking to myself is like, you know, you have quotas on one side of the government and, you right. know, where their goals are, but there's no way really to empower the vendor. All right. Or the contractor, in this case, right. woman owned companies. To have the information to use these as arguments to make more work go woman-owned set aside. And so it's it's kind of like, you know, are, we're going to be completely dependent on, you know, a report that comes out two years after from some government website for one agency. You know, like they might all release this information, but this gives you near real time. So you can see, you know, like, look, over the course yeah. of the year, you've only awarded six woman-owned contracts. Clearly, our two companies, we clearly demonstrate the capabilities of doing this work. Can we make this go woman-owned, right? Yep. So giving the information, allowing you to easily answer that. I mean, it's literally four. It was like four clicks for me to get that answer. That's what we're trying to do. Like, you know, because remember, the an- the analytics initially was set up is to take a profile of your company, and I can find everybody else that's paying for the similar similar work, with, right. you know, within the customers that you know to figure out your target market. and. We'll actually be having a new drop that comes out for that on Friday too. I'll go through some other stats. You want me to go through those other some few of the other stats well, that I found that were interesting? I, I want to yes in a second, but what I want to think about and unpack a little bit here for because I get questions all the time, right, from firms that are well, how do I know where to target? What do I know what to do? How do I you know how do I find the right places to go into? And some sometimes the answer is very obvious. Go where you have relationships. But sometimes they don't have relationships or I want to hire someone to help me get into the relationships. But where should I even target? And so some of these analytics will allow us to 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 come in and say, OK, huh, you know what? HUD, for example, hasn't met their woman owned target in six years. Right. And they are down and they're going further down. And I don't know that that's true. I don't have the data in front of me. So I'm making it up and I'm also targeting HUD because that was one of my old agencies when I was at OMB. So I, I'm sure that they're not hitting their goals because it's hard to hit the goals, right? And so, and particularly for some of the smaller agencies, it's really hard to hit the goals. So then you turn around and go, okay, I'm going to make a strategy here around the data analytics that I can get out of this tool that I can do myself. It's not go ask somebody to do a deep dive for you. It's I can do the deep dive myself and I can play around and tweak, you know, huh, what happens if I only look at this NAICS code or these five NAICS codes and this these four agencies? 
And let's see where I can target and start doing strategic investments in the right places. So I, I think that's one of the things that, again, that and that's capture, right? That's that's the really high end early stage capture before you get into I've targeted this specific requirement in this specific agency and I'm going to start talking to these people. That's the kind of traditional capture, but but you have it even pre that to the data analytics capture of what should I strategically be doing? Where should I be going? Who's yeah. got money? Exactly. And and the but see the reason that you know the value of that is because of the time that you played the game. And you know that and I know when I say the term, you know, game, but look we take this very you and I both take this very seriously, right? It's like, but it, there is a, yeah, a game. there's an art, right? There's an art to capture. And I could tell you that I see a lot of companies and I've made this mistake myself, all right? That I've seen a lot of companies say, oh, they want to grow. And meanwhile, that they really don't even know every opportunity that's relevant to them that is in their own backyard. Exactly. And then, you know, like, you when and I I actually you know just did a brief on this and I can tell you because I I think all of my presentations are always focused towards people that were you know doing probably you know companies that are around like that seven million about you know yeah. seven million to nine million because I remember that that was the point where I struggled with with my with my last company I started yeah. that it was just like that was where a lot of change really started you know happening and that I said you know after going through these you know various you know bids some would work some wouldn't you know, you learn what works, what doesn't. But and that is all what led to saying, well, let's give them tooling that can allow you to go and say, find me work of similar size, scope and complexity that I do that's currently active. All right. That's that gives me like, let's say a year out, a year and a half out uh, before the recompete. Mm-hmm. All right. And then cross reference that with the customers that I have relationships with or my current BD team has relationships with. So right. you need to take your own information. What are our strengths? Like if you're like, if you have relationships at HUD, all right, and that's where you, that, that was your old stomping ground. Okay. All right. Let's see if anything falls within that realm. So taking the information from your team and your own team's capabilities, right. crosswalking it against the data to see where the opportunities lie, and then considering acquisition strategy. And that's another thing. The analytics is like I can say isolate on all woman-owned opportunities, but a company your size and with your maturity, I don't like if you're still a small business. I know you're no longer a small business, but even when you were under 35 million, you knew how to you know to shape work. That that criteria of me isolating just on woman-owned opportunities, you would be like isolate on on total small business side and woman-owned opportunities because you knew that you could ultimately you know. If you got the right teammate to make it rule of two to go your direction. Right. So having that flexibility to quickly change and to slice and dice and to look at the data and then cross referencing against the contract vehicles those customers use. Because how do I make this the ideal acquisition strategy? I mean, the ideal acquisition strategy is put it on my small Mac IDIQ that I'm pretty much, you know, that's. I don't know, that Spayware created primarily for me just to bring money to for my customers. Right. All right. And, you know, like get get that work over there. Get nipper to, you know, to get get it that way. That's the ideal, like, you know, case, right? It right. doesn't always work like that, but 
when you're all, all right, I'm a stars two, I'm a stars three holder. If I can get this work, you know, and I know that that customer uses stars three, then my, my conversation with the contract offices officer is a lot easier. Right. My conversation is like, you already have the warrant. You're already using that vehicle. So right. like, right. you know, and that is like, it's the mixture of all that. So if you're going to cast the net, it's not like you can't cast a big net or a net that's far, but that doesn't mean you can't cast a net that gets you what you need. Uh, you know, it's not, it eliminates the noise. Uh, all right. So, well, it's, it's, it's limited resources. Make the most of your limited resources, right. not any. There's, there is no large business that has unlimited resources to go after everything out there. You have to target it. And certainly as a small business, you have to. So this, this gives you, those analytics to be able to do that. I, you know, we could keep talking and we do every time we're yeah. in a phone call together or I, I mean, I think the last phone call I had with you was scheduled for like an hour. And I think we went like two, two and a half because there's so much to unpackage here. There's so much goodness. What I would say is, first of all, anyone who is listening here really does need to be talking to Christopher and really exploring how C2P may help. So I want I want to make sure that they know how to get a hold of you and in touch with you. But I think we might need to to do a second podcast at some point and and, and unpackage some of this stuff even a little bit more. Maybe a captured a proposal 2.0 or or two, 201, you know, back in my academic days, instead of a 101. So stay tuned. We may have another one of these coming. But how do they get to you if they if they need to or when they need to? So if you want to reach out to Capture 2 Proposal, you can go to our website, just type in capture2proposal.com. You can review features, listing, you know, general information, overview, customer testimonies, also get a better understanding of all the capabilities that we offer. You could also, if you want to reach out directly and, you know, schedule a demo or learn more about our product, just type an email and send it to sales at capture2.com and somebody will get back to you and, you know, get a better understanding of what you guys are looking for and how we can meet those needs. Awesome. I will tell you, we are huge evangelists for this product. Obviously this wasn't supposed to be a sales podcast in any way, shape or form. It really is just looking at how to do the capture process effectively as a small business, not as a large business, not with, you know, 17 different capture people running on different opportunities, but really how to do real capture as a real small business. And and this tool, but really this thought process is what drives success at that next level of growth. You know, after you get out of the exactly just organic growth where somebody's like, I need you, and you really start doing more of the competitive, this is one of the ways to do it most effectively. So I'm a huge proponent. I, I will shout it from the rooftop. And if, if anyone has questions, get with Christopher and his team for sure. Thank you. As always, it's great. I really appreciate the talk and thanks for the opportunity to be here.